Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. Before we begin our podcast today, a quick programming note. I will be flying solo as host of the podcast for the next little while. Megan McKimmy has started a new position with another agriculture organization, and we wish her all the best in her new role. In this episode of Grain Talk, we're going to speak with Mark Brock, who is the current recipient of the Grain Farmers of Ontario-sponsored Nuffield Canada Scholarship. Nuffield scholarships help people within the agriculture industry who are interested in personal and professional growth gain new experiences through international travel and study. The scholarship sponsored by Grain Farmers of Ontario is awarded to an individual whose study topic will benefit the Ontario grain sector. Nuffield Canada is accepting applications for next year's program until the end of June, so it's a good time to talk to Mark about his current Nuffield journey. In other green news, Grain Farmers of Ontario has lower checkoff fees for all commodities. The Board of Directors recently approved the change within the organization's budget for the new fiscal year. The new checkoff fees per metric ton are as follows. Barley, $1.19. Corn, $0.40. Mixed oats and barley, $1.34. Oats, $1.34. Soybeans, $1.39. Wheat, $0.81. And again, those numbers are per metric ton. For corn, soybeans, and wheat, these amounts include the premium for the Grain Financial Protection Program. The new rates apply to all grain settlements occurring on or after July 1st. Grain dealers across the province have been notified of the change. But farmers looking for more information on the new checkoff fees can find them listed on the dealer page in the marketing section of gfo.ca. The federal election is set to take place in October, and Grain Farmers of Ontario has officially released its election asks to the candidates. Among our top priorities are the need for a trade war fund for grain and oilseed farmers, long-term business risk management programming, defense of current markets and the establishment of new trade agreements, and the implementation of a clean fuel standard that utilizes corn ethanol and soybean biodiesel. Grain Farmers of Ontario is already working to foster relationships in important global markets. And later in the podcast, we will speak to our chair, Marcus Hurl, about the trade missions that he's currently involved with. But now, here's my conversation with Mark Brock. Joining us on the podcast today is Mark Brock, a farmer from Staffa, Ontario, who is participating in the Nuffield Canada Scholarship Program. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. No problem. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, a lot of people know your name because you were the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario for a time, but um, they might not know about your farm operation. Can you tell us uh, what you do there? Sure. Uh, So we, uh, Sandy and I, uh, own and operate uh, a farm, Shepherd Creek Farms Limited, uh, that we started in 2012 through uh, succession planning with our our family, with my my dad and my parents. that kind of transitioned uh, the cash crop side of our business over to Sandy and I's management and uh, kind of got on our own doing that in 2012. We crop about, I think, 1,700 acres of a kind of corn, soybean, edible beans, and winter wheat rotation. And we also have uh, sheep as well that Sandy manages. Uh, we have about 450 use that uh, we lamb four times a year that uh, produce uh, lamb for the Ontario market. So I guess right now it just, uh, we're pretty busy with the farm and trying to get through this uh, spring with the tough weather, but uh, I keep pretty busy here uh, just trying to keep things glued together. 
And I've seen recently on YouTube that you started your own uh, YouTube channel, letting people know what's happening on a green farm. Yeah, I think the interesting part, uh, Sandy's done a really great job with uh, highlighting our sheep uh, portion of our business. And, and she does her YouTube channel, Sheepishly Me. And uh, she's been very successful with that. But uh, she actually gets some questions on the grain side of things uh, that she's never really always been that comfortable uh, answering because uh, that's kind of under my management. Uh, so I thought, well, what the heck? I got a little bit of free time on my hands. So I thought uh start doing some videos as well. So um, I guess you could say that uh, I do some uh, YouTube videos around what's happening on the grain side and Sandy focuses on the sheep side and uh, it kind of gives a, a glimpse uh, into the window of uh, what's happening on our farm. So it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting uh, and it's been, it's been fun, but it, it's not without its challenges. So when you talk about being busy on the farm, why did you decide that you wanted to take on the challenge of doing a Nuffield scholarship? Well, to, to be honest, uh, I, I always wanted to do uh, some further education. Uh, I always uh, was challenged. Uh, people never thought I would. Uh, I had teachers in public school that never thought I'd make it in university. So I got to university and I got a four-year degree in agronomy, crop science. And then I guess that kind of always fueled my desire to either do, I, I almost did a master's uh, in crop science, but uh, started making money in the real world and decided I like making money. So I kind of decided not to do a master's, but I always kind of had it in the back of my mind of wanting to do some further education. And uh, I was leaning towards doing an MBA, but uh, just in talking with a lot of Nuffield scholars from around, Canada and actually having a few international Nuffield scholars come to our farm over the last three or four years, uh, I just, it just seemed like a really good learning opportunity, uh, much to like what an MBA would be. But I just think it's a lot more practical and agriculture focused. And just to develop such a network of people across the world, uh, it, it just really, uh, I just really, it really kind of resonated with me and, and decided that that was really something I wanted to do. Now I'm going to read what your official title of your project is from, from Nuffield. Um, and then I want you to explain what this means. So it says Mark's study will examine funding and investment models with the goal of creating options for Canadian farmers to confidently make investments that improve efficiencies and return on investment, especially for operators that may find it hard to take advantage of economies of scale. So can you help us understand what it is that you're looking at? Sure. You know, uh, that was kind of the, the topic I put forward uh, for my application for uh, my Nuffield. And, and it's still a, a part of the topic that I want to cover. But r really what it looks like, what it looks at is, you know, uh, how do we get uh, farms to, you know, step outside their box of thinking and look at ways to collaborate with other farmers, whether it's neighbors or other areas. You know, um, this spring is a good example uh, of where some farmers are struggling to get some crops in and, and neighbors are coming to help uh, to, you know, finish, get their crops finished and get them planted because uh, they were done already. And, it, you know, it's a real good example of collaboration, but it it seems to only happen uh, under extreme circumstances. And it, it's not kind of a, a normal business practices or normal business model. So, you know, I, I really wanted to look at ways of, how do you create that collaboration among farmers uh, or you know through different business structures so that you can work together and actually 
be very successful uh, together and not, you know, kind of be combative with each other in terms of, uh, you know, trying to uh, compete for resources uh, and, and different things. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. But it, it, the interesting part about it, it that I find uh, even more intriguing is the philosophy or the psychology around uh, farmers and their thinking. Uh, because when I talk to some farmers about my topic, originally they're like, oh, farmers, they'll never do that. They're too fiercely independent. Uh, you know, it'll never work when the weather's crappy like that uh, because you can't share something because you're both going to need it at the same time. So I got a, kind of a lot of negative, I wouldn't say a lot of negative feedback, but, you know, that kind of feedback. And, and I guess it, it falls back to the psychology of a farmer. You know, what's the difference between one that kind of has a negative approach to that kind of idea and one that is, you know, positive and thinks that's a great idea. So I think that's kind of going to be a big part of what I look at as well is just that kind of philosophy and thinking uh, with farmers. And, and, you know, if you start looking at successful farmers or successful collaborations over time, you know, what's the psychology involved in the, that decision-making? And, you know, is it kind of just an inherent personality trait or is it actually a learned behavior and if it's a learned behavior is that something that we can help other farmers kind of overcome uh, some of these negative aspects around collaboration and i find that interesting that there's that negative perception about maybe a formal cooperation or collaboration between farmers when like we've mentioned this spring that's been such a tough time for farmers to get their fields planted and you keep seeing on social media or hearing from farmers that you know hey i'm done my field i can go and help you plant yours or if you're in trouble and you need some help let me know and i'll be there for you so why do you think it is that farmers are willing to you know ad hoc offer help but when it's a formal collaboration they're hesitant you know, it's a really good question, and I, I think I want to look at some of that, you know, just the, that have that that conversation with people from around the world and, and different farmers. But when I look at it, I think it's our inherent – farmers have this sense of community. At, at the end of the day, they still believe in the community that they farm in, and they want to help it. Uh, and when we get into, you know, whether uh, it's something bad like a barn fire or – a bad spring where it's hard to get the crops in we tend to fall back to that sense of community and we do whatever we can to help out like i've seen in situations where farmers who haven't talked to each other for 20 years uh, one will come and help another one out they might not talk when they're helping but it's just funny that there's that inherent sense of community so we find that in tough times but we totally forget about it in good times and and I wonder why that happens and, and why you get that, you know, kind of negativity around collaborations in good times, but we don't think of it in bad times. So I think it is a conversation I like to have with some producers around the world and really kind of think about the psychology around that. And a bit closer to home, you've mentioned that there's um, a collaboration, a joint venture of four farmers in Western Canada that you're interested in learning more from. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, there's a, a group of producers kind of in uh, an area in Alberta there that uh, grow a lot of higher valued crops, uh, seed crops like hybrid canola and uh, specialty, uh, like specialty uh, essential oils actually, and they have a little crush plant. Um, so Quattro Farms, I believe is the name, the, 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 the farm collaboration, but it's four farmers I believe that went together uh, to do like a joint venture and pool the resources. And they've been very successful. And uh, so I wanted to go out and talk to them and kind of 
look at, you know, how do they overcome some of the barriers, you know, and uh, the people around them that would say that, no, that will never work. That's a silly idea. Uh, you know, and just kind of talk to them about their success with it and, you know, and just get kind of feeling around their mindset around it and, and why, you know, they took the steps to do that and, and what have the pros and cons been to that process and, and, and just kind of get a, a feel for why it's been a, a successful joint venture. Now, you're just starting out on this Nuffield journey, but you have attended the Contemporary Scholars Conference in the U.S. Uh, earlier this year. What did you learn from that conference? You know, that conference was pretty pretty amazing. Uh, you know, being uh, being Canada and that uh, the U.S. is so close to us, we, we do have a good uh, sense of some of their policy and, and their, uh, you know, their, uh, I guess, feelings around agriculture. But uh, we kind of really took a real in-depth uh, view at some of the policy and were able to talk to, I think I talked to about six or seven different ag, uh, secretaries of agriculture from different states. Uh, and to kind of get their feel on trade, uh, the issues that they were having with China, and just uh, it was kind of a, a lot deeper dive into their their kind of aspects around agriculture and the policy and and their stance around uh, trade and biotech products and different things. So that was really, really neat to kind of get that deep dive on that things, on on those topics. The other thing that I actually found really interesting was the interaction with other countries, uh, with uh, kind of the U.S. presenters. Where you look at countries like uh, New Zealand who have, like, there's no genetically modified crops there at all. Uh, Australia that has areas that can grow and other areas that can't. And just kind of the interaction and discussions and questions that were asked from international scholars. It was really intriguing just to kind of see that back and forth between, um, you know, a country that is very dominant in the world as the U.S. is with agricultural products and other countries that, you know, see them as competitors and, and just that that kind of back and forth questioning and, and the different philosophies and approaches, it was this is really eye-opening. And what was your sense in terms of when you mentioned that there's different uh, agronomic practices that people use in terms of GM, not GM, or, or the uh, you know crop protection products they may or may not use? Was there an interesting conversation around that in terms of farmers thinking, oh, I wish I had access to that technology, or are they pretty firm in, in the way that they do things? Well, it was, it's, uh, it's really interesting. The one that really kind of comes to mind that is uh, one that people are trying to wade through the, the weeds on kind of is uh, gene editing. Because uh, it's the debate of is it traditional breeding practice just accelerated through gene editing, or is it a you know is it deemed a genetically modified event, right? So, you know, it's that question of how countries are going to view that type of uh, breeding techniques uh, was a really interesting conversation, especially for countries that don't have or don't allow genetically modified crops. They like. And, and they see the yield benefit that countries like Canada and the U.S. have with uh, these different, uh, you know, breeding GMO traits in their, in their crops that, you know, if they can get access to that kind of yield improvement, but have it kind of done through gene editing and, and defined as, you know, just 
still not a GM event, but kind of a natural breeding process, uh, they see the value of it. So it's interesting because some countries, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, just are opposed to it. Uh, and there's other countries that are on the fence because of public perception that would like that technology and are hoping they can get it through uh, gene editing. Uh, and uh, it was just that was pretty interesting to see that that kind of dialogue and that those those debates and those conversations happen. And you're hoping to have even more conversations with farmers. Uh, you're planning some travels to the U.S. to hopefully meet with farmers there and and find out what makes uh, a successful successful farm operations there. Um, can you talk a little bit about your plans for traveling in the United States? Yeah, so I plan on hitting some of the land grant universities uh, and their economic ag, agricultural economic departments. So Purdue, Texas A and M, and uh, out to California to UC Berkeley. Um, just to have to meet with some of those people. Uh, some of the interesting ones that I think would be I want to kind of follow up on is that uh, Texas A&M uh, kind of does an agricultural. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's like a, almost an MBA for uh, for farmers, uh, and it's kind of like a special course that I know some Canadian farmers have taken, uh, and it's really focused on improving their business. And I want to talk to the people that kind of run that course and get a sense of, you know, how those farmers think and if they're the ones that are more likely to get involved in collaborations and joint ventures and the things I'm interested in. And then follow up with some participants that have gone through that course. Uh, I know there's a a gentleman in Western Canada who's done it that I want to talk to. And uh, there's actually a couple in Ontario that have gone through the, the course as well that I'd like to talk to. Uh, and uh, just kind of get a sense of, of uh, you know, what type of person, uh, producer, farmer goes through a course like that and what kind of mindset do they have and are they, they seem to be more maybe more willing and open to ideas around joint ventures and stuff like that. So just kind of hit those, those areas and then follow up with some of the producers that have gone through courses like that. Do you think there's a generational difference between farmers' willingness to get involved in a joint venture? I do. I, I, I do and I don't. I, I think I, I'm really starting to feel it's a lot about um, the, you know, the way a farmer looks at a business. Uh, you know, I can see some younger producers that are very traditional in what they do and, and less likely to look at a collaboration where I can see an older farmer. Uh, a great example is uh, uh, a, a gentleman I know in Western Canada that has entered a joint venture uh, for succession planning because none of his kids want to farm, but yet there's a young uh, producer in the neighborhood that was interested in, and they set up a joint venture where, uh, you know, he, and when uh, this gentleman decides to retire, there's a structure in place where this young younger gentleman can take over that farm. So, you know, I don't think it's young or old or generational. I just think it's almost that, philosophy or that psychology of the producer itself regardless of age and how they look at farming and how they look at their business and you're also planning to take some international perspectives about uh, how different uh, farm businesses can be uh, you know successful so what are you looking at in terms of international Uh, I'm going to go into the uh, UK and into Europe Uh, there's some interesting stuff that's happening there with uh, 
farm shares, uh, kind of like uh, producers that are kind of working together a little bit more, equipment rings where there's equipment that's being shared kind of through an equipment co-op and uh, try to uh, see some of those spots or those areas where, you know, farmers are collaborating a lot more and, and have a conversation with them. So I guess that's kind of where I'm targeting is, uh, as I've met some of these other scholars from around the world back in March at the CSC conference, I plan on hitting those areas that, uh, you know, people are recommending me to go see that have these kind of collaborations uh, of farmers in different parts of the world. So the UK, uh, Europe, uh, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and then just kind of where else I have time to hit some spots. Now, going into these travels, do you, I guess, have some preconceived notions of what you're expecting to learn or to hear? Or are you trying to go into these with an open mind, at sort of like an open book that you don't really have any expectations? From, from when I talk to other scholars, because uh, uh, I've had a few uh, reach out to me and there's a, a lot that I've been in contact, like just kept in contact with since March. And I ask them how they make out because some of them have been doing some touring and, and stuff and and they say you kind of go in with your mind you have target uh, interviews with different people so you have set up meetings um, that you know might kind of have some you know I guess preconceived notions to them but they say the interesting part is when you get to those uh, you find out that a lot of times the person that you're having a discussion with says, oh, you should talk to this person and you should talk to this person. And they say you end up filling in more time with kind of just pop-up interviews or pop-up meetings with people. And and they say that's when your mind really starts to expand a little bit because, you know, you've targeted an interview with a person for a specific reason, but when these pop-up kind of meetings happen, it's kind of just off the whim and it's a completely open mind, open book. And they say some of those are the, the more interesting ones because you never kind of expected to have a meeting like that. So do you have an end goal in mind? <laughs> well, I guess my end goal is to make sure I have my paper done in time. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I, I think you do at the start. You know, I kind of, I kind of went through a whole plan um, kind of trying to be very structured in what I was doing. And I really kind of started to feel that I was, uh, it almost was becoming a self-fulfilled prophecy. Uh, And I I kind of wanted to get away from that. So I I kind of stopped that and, you know, it's gonna be half structured, half unstructured, I guess is where I'm at now where, you know, well, fundamentally we'll have some meetings set up and we'll do some stuff, but I really hope that those offhand meetings happen that you can kind of get outside the box a little bit and have some, you know, conversations that you would normally would not have. And, and that's kind of where I'm looking for. So, you know, I, I think I have an, a rough idea in mind what the end result will be, but I'm not married to it. And uh, I, I want to kind of make sure I keep an open mind. So for Nuffield Scholarship, can you walk us through a bit of the process that's involved? We've talked a bit about travels. You mentioned having to write a final report. For somebody that isn't familiar with the Nuffield Scholarship Program, how much time commitment is it and and what's sort of the process that you go through? Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, you put basically uh, fill an application kind of with, uh, you know, uh, an idea of what your topic wants to be. You know, I don't think... 
you're stuck to it but you know i think kind of in that general idea of what you're trying to accomplish uh and then uh really when you get a accepted or you get uh, uh i guess approved for a nutfield scholarship you're required to have a, a paper done kind of two years from uh the date of the the march conference here and then uh they expect at least minimum of 10 weeks of travel and of that six of it should be consecutive uh, a lot of people do the uh, global focus tour uh, which is a six-week program that happens right after the uh, contemporary scholars conference in march uh, and then then there's one that just started a week ago again uh, so that uh, you can do one in june july or you can do kind of march april uh, just because of some commitments i had this winter i couldn't partake in a global focus tour so i might uh, try to do that next year but uh you know i think your big time is you're just going to have to take some time and dedicate it to traveling and and i don't think you want to short yourself you want to do it right and give yourself time to to have those meetings and meet those people and really i think expand your your look at agriculture just outside of ontario and canada but just get a real kind of global view of what's happening around the world with agriculture do you think the time commitment is a stumbling block for people, specifically within the grain industry? Um, you never know what planting or harvest is going to be like, and, and that extra time away from the farm, is, is that a barrier for people? You know, uh, it can be if you make it a barrier. Um, you can make anything a barrier. I think you just uh, have to wrap your mind around a, a commitment of doing something. You know, I'm struggling a bit with the spring. We're still not, uh, we still don't have everything planted yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, being uh, kind of a our, our own boss, I have a little bit more flexibility about being able to take time off the farm and going. So I think you can you can make it work if you want to. I just think uh, it's just time management. You have to be pretty good at time management. But I don't I don't think it's a barrier. I think it's just uh, wrap your head around it and make it work. So the applications for the next round of Nuffield Scholars, um, they are due at the end of June. What would you say to somebody who's considering whether or not they want to embark on this journey? Wow, uh, to be it's it's a uh, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity. I haven't even got very far into my scholarship yet in terms of travel and meeting with people, but it, you know, just that twelve days I spent with people from around the world. Um, no one can ever take that away from you and, and just the people that you meet um yeah it's a, it's a commitment um it's going to be some work uh it's going to not always be easy but just that exposure to that kind of high caliber people involved in agriculture from around the world is just so phenomenal that you know it's it's really a life-changing experience and as you do some more traveling and get more in depth in, in this scholarship program. How can people follow along with you? Are you planning to do anything on social media with your YouTube channel or with Twitter? Have you, have you thought about how you might uh, be sharing your experience? Uh, a lot of my experience probably is going to get shared uh, via Twitter and probably YouTube actually. And that was kind of why I started doing some of the YouTube stuff I, I am doing is that I was trying to think of a unique way to just kind of document what's happening uh, for myself as well because a lot of times when you go through these experiences you you kind of like oh, oh my gosh it's kind of over and, and you want to look back and reflect so 
I, you know, for my own personal reasons, I kind of want to video document my travel and, and my meetings as much as I can. So I think I'll try to share that as much as I, I feel comfortable with people that I talk to and they're comfortable with it. I'll share it through YouTube and and probably uh, through social media, social media channels like uh, Twitter. Twitter seems to be the one I, I favor the most. So uh, I, I guess between Twitter and YouTube, that's where you can hopefully follow along. And what are your your handles? How can people find you? Sure. My Twitter handle is at Cropper01. And then YouTube, all you have to do in YouTube is just search Mark Brock and you should come up with my channel. Uh, the channel will be Shepherd Creek Farms. That's excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Mark. No problem. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Joining us now on the podcast by phone is Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, Marcus Hurl. Thanks for joining us today, Marcus. Yes, good afternoon. Now, Marcus, how has planting been going for you there in eastern Ontario? Well, uh, I can actually generalize that for everybody in Ontario, not for uh, only us in the east. It's been a difficult one. Uh, here in the eastern Ontario, I think we are quite fortunate uh, there's roughly about 90% of all the crop has been now planted but um, by saying that not all the crop is out of the ground uh, some of it was planted in very tough conditions uh, farmers just taking desperate measures of uh, saying okay I need to get something in the ground because I need to get some revenue in the fall uh, with the timelines running later in this uh, uh, spring season, well, uh, patience usually runs fairly lean. So uh, I'm talking about generally uh, of all farmers across the province. So uh, there are still pockets in Ontario that are very, very wet and are still probably not even turning a wheel yet uh, to get any crop in. And even those that have done some planting, my understanding is they, it wasn't planted in the best condition, so there could be issues with emergence and potential yield. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, on our farm uh, at home, I uh, have corn that struggled to get out of the ground, uh, started to use the rotary hoe to get it uh, loosened off a bit. Soybeans are poking through, but also with some struggle. So it's actually something I don't really want to say, but a little shower here and there is actually not a bad thing for the crops that need to come out of the ground. It's going to loosen up the soil a bit, and it's going to give the chance to the seed to pop out. Everything in moderation, I guess, eh? That's... Well, that's true. Uh, we all have to think about that. Like the big downpours, we're back to square one again. Now, with, as you mentioned, the weather conditions pretty much being difficult across the province, it affected our ability to have the Board of Directors meeting this month, but you guys still managed to get together um, electronically and did, and did a video conference call because there was some important business of the organization that you had to attend to. Yes, um, we uh, like we do every year, uh, there is the budget process that uh, needs to be approved, and uh, so... Uh, just this morning, we actually approved the uh, the budget for 2019-2020 uh, uh, moving forward uh, because uh, we know that 
the organization still needs to keep going and uh, needs to have some strategy behind uh, what it needs to do. And uh, we hope that uh, this 2019 crop is going to be uh, fortunate enough to to keep the farmers uh, going and uh, have something for them uh, positively somewhere. And I guess that's something to consider as well when we're funded by checkoff fees. We don't really know going forward for this year what yields are going to be like and then what in turn our budget actually will end up being. Yeah, that makes it so much more difficult. But uh, by saying that, uh, you know, every year there can be a challenge in the cropping season. Like uh, in the spring, we don't know if we're going to hit a drought during the summertime or if there is an early frost in the fall. So there is uh, ways that we get around all that by uh, kind of using five-year averages, averaging it out. And, uh, you know, we have to say Grain Forest Ontario is in fairly good financial shape uh, that can ride through some of the shortfalls if it does occur. So, uh, and those are the uh, the planning parts of the organization, and uh, we're uh, staff of Green Farms Ontario and the board of directors kind of put their heads together and uh, come up with the uh, the best possible budget uh, for the organization. And when we talk about business still going forward, you're about to head out on a, a trip to Belgium and the UK as part of an outgoing trade mission. Can you tell us a bit about the objectives of that trade mission? Yeah, so um, uh, we're just heading out actually this uh, this weekend um, to, we want to make sure that the, um, the trade environment that we're going into in the European Union, first of all, has changed somewhat. Uh, we are a player in that environment. We need to know, first of all, what they need, what regulations they work with. We need to uh, to focus in on what the market uh, need for us to be a player in in there. And uh, the UK, uh, we all know that the uh, Brexit is still not uh, complete uh, we don't know if it's ever going to happen what's going to happen the next few months uh, we do need to make sure that uh, we are in their uh, footsteps or in their doorsteps i want to say to make sure that they understand canada and ontario has commodities that are for their use in any time of the year accessible and it uh, through the Canadian markets and uh, we do produce quality products that they can uh, use for their uh, their daily needs and as a follow-up to that trip you're you're staying on in London for the international oil sea producers dialogue that's a conference you've attended in the past what is the value of that meeting and what are you looking at for this year yeah well you know, since last year that I, when I attended it down in Brazil, uh, many things have changed. Um, first of all, all the uh, the tariffs on soybeans came in full effect after that conference last year. Uh, there was a lot of speculation of what will happen through the trade, how much impact this is will have. Now it's been a year that we're living this nightmare. And uh, 
by having a chance to sit down with other oilseed producing countries and uh, they're going to specify not only into the soybean market but also the canola market which is a big big part of the oilseed industry uh, we need to understand this new marketplace uh, what are the policies that countries put in place to first of all protect their producers we need to understand what new opportunities of markets that might be out there for us to explore. So uh, often enough, yes, we are maybe competitors, but there's also certain things we can line up on, on uh, first of all, on research. We can line up on, um, uh, on so-called non-terrorist trade barriers, uh, which we all face one way or another. Uh, can we maybe find a common ground of finding a solution for all those? And uh, that's where it's important that we are present at those certain conferences. Well, we'll look forward to hearing an update from you, Marcus, after the conference is over the next time we chat for the podcast. You certainly can get that from me. That's not a problem. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash greentalk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Mark Brock and Marcus Hurl. If you like what you heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.